What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is World Business Report from the BBC World Service. Hello, I'm Vivienne Nunes. Instagram reverses plans to prioritise videos over photos on the platform. We hear from a photographer whose campaign against the move was picked up by two Kardashians. That interview coming up in about 15 minutes' time. And we'll hear how English football clubs are building their brands in Asia. I don't have a religion, I don't have a god. Liverpool Football Club is my religion and it's a way of life for me. But we start in the Black Sea ports of Ukraine. 17 ships are said to be loaded with grain, 10 of them ready to depart. If or when they do set sail, it would be the first legal export of Ukrainian grain by sea since the Russian invasion five months ago. The Minister for Infrastructure there said some ships had been loaded back in the winter but were unable to leave because of a Russian blockade. Now they're waiting on a safe corridor to be confirmed by the UN and Turkey. On Friday, one of the ports was visited by President Zelensky, who said he was cautiously optimistic. We hope that grain export will start. If it does, we hope that everyone involved keeps their promises and guarantees. We hope that both the vessels and the people will be safe. But we don't know the outcome of the process, and we are aware of the fact that we are dealing with Russia. Meanwhile, at a news conference in Washington, the US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, says he held a frank and direct conversation with the Russian Foreign Minister, Sergei Lavrov, and he told him that Russia had a responsibility to allow the safe passage of the food stocks. I also emphasise that the world expects Russia to fulfil its commitments under the deal it reached with Ukraine, Turkey and the United Nations on grain shipments from Ukraine. Ambassador Brink, our ambassador to uh, Ukraine, was in Odessa this morning. She confirmed that the ships are loaded and ready to go. It is important and vital that Russia make good on the commitments it's made. As I made clear, we're looking to see that move forward as soon as possible. Masha Belikova is an agriculture expert at the commodity price reporting agency Fast Markets based in Dnipro. So how confident is she the ships will set sail this weekend? I cannot say that I'm confident 100%, but it seems that they are getting ready and it can really happen any day. We have been waiting them to leave the ports for the whole week, but each day it was delayed from Wednesday and today as well. But it seems that they are just checking some uh, issues and just getting prepared. And our president, he said that... um, They are just waiting for a signal from uh, United Nations or Turkey just to start that. So I guess it's not this weekend, but next week it will happen finally. Okay, so you are expecting these ships to sail in the coming days. Yes, I really do. But the Ukrainian military has mined this part of the Black Sea during the war. What's been done Uh, to protect them from that? Yes, so not the whole waters were demined, but they have did it for, for the corridor, for this caravan, and uh, ahead of the ships in that caravan, there would be a pilot ship which would be just guiding them. 
So I think that's how it's going to work. So there is a corridor which is free from mines. We just need to see how it's happening. But it seems that they are just checking that everything is really done before they are leaving. So there is a corridor that has been demined and there will be a pilot ship leading the way. But even so, for the ships involved in this operation... The insurance costs must be high because of all these added risks. How much is it going to cost to ship these grain loads out of Odessa? And and who's going to pay those added costs? Currently, we are only speaking about the ships that are going to leave right now, like that are loaded already. Those are the ones that have been stuck in Ukrainian ports since February. So... They don't really need insurance already because they have been stuck already and they have been already in a situation where, like, you know, it's pretty risky to be in Ukrainian ports during the war. But if we're talking about vessels that are still going to come to Ukrainian ports, for sure they have to get some insurance. And as of now, I hear that it's still pretty hard to get it and big companies are not yet getting responses from their insurance companies. That's what I hear. But at the same time, there are already some ideas for the freight in the market discussed. And there was some announcement that UK-based insurance company Lloyd's, they say that they are ready to give some insurance of 50 million USD. And there was also some news that Ukrainian government is asking for World Bank and some other banks to give their finance for the insurance for the vessels that are coming. But I think if those first ships that have been stuck already, if they really leave the ports and everything will be okay, then maybe they'll go better. But for sure, like the biggest concern in the market is that something can happen, like some more attacks or or something with mines, because even our military guy is saying that the path is clear, there is still one chance that uh, something can go wrong. Masha Belikova there in Dnipro, and we'll be following the sailing of those ships if they do set sail on the world service across the weekend. Well, Russia's war in Ukraine is having wide-ranging economic consequences, not just for global food supplies, but in energy markets too. And that's being felt most keenly in Germany, previously the biggest customer of Russian gas, but now just receiving a fraction of the supply it relied on before the war began. Perhaps it's not surprising then that Germany's economic growth has ground to a halt in the second quarter of this year, according to data released by the country's Office of Statistics. It's not the only reason, though. Andrew Kenningham is an economist from Capital Economics in London, and he told me more. Germany was the sort of most disappointing of the Eurozone economies in Q2. Basically, it has not benefited from the rebound in tourism and other hospitality sectors that we've seen elsewhere in the Eurozone because it doesn't have such a big tourism sector. And at the same time, its, its big industrial base has been really clobbered by the high energy prices, by what's been going on in Ukraine and so on. The Office of Statistics also listed disrupted supply chains, so it looks like their manufacturing sector is still hurting from the kind of hangover of the pandemic. Correct. Um, If you look at the surveys of the um, firms that the IFO Institute publish every month, a very big majority of manufacturing companies say they have significant problems with supplies of equipment and machinery. It's completely unprecedented compared to you know anything before the pandemic. 
And whereas in America, for example, those problems have eased, they really haven't eased very much in Germany. You mentioned the results for Germany were the worst among the Eurozone, but actually the Eurozone as a whole, economic growth there accelerated in the past three months. Yeah, that's right. You'll have seen that the southern economies did especially well. So Italy and Spain both saw growth of one percentage point. It doesn't sound like a lot, but in just one quarter, that's pretty good going. Um, But a lot of that, as I was suggesting before, is to do with tourism. You know, the tourism industry had been really closed down and that came back to life this year as the pandemic restrictions were lifted and people are going on holiday and so on. It sounds as though if those countries are enjoying a boost from tourism, that will go on a bit longer, given we're in the middle of summer right now. But looking further down the road, I mean, the worries that we keep talking about, given the energy crisis, given rising inflation, presumably you're forecasting they will take an effect sooner or later on these figures. Yeah, absolutely. In in many ways, the Q2 numbers are a bit misleading. We've been saying for some time now that we think the Eurozone is going to go into recession later this year. It will be worse in Germany than in uh, the southern economies, at least to begin with. But uh, the whole eurozone is likely to contract, if not in Q3, but then certainly by the fourth quarter and perhaps in the first quarter of next year. Uh, So I think the question is how deep that recession is likely to be. How deep is the recession likely to be? (laughs) Well, for now, we're not forecasting a huge uh, downturn. There aren't these sort of big imbalances uh, that could cause you know, a a big crash in property prices. And we do think the central bank has learned a lot of lessons over the last 10 years and will not allow a repetition of the eurozone crisis uh, where there were concerns about countries being kicked out of the single currency area. But it it is possible that inflation will turn out to be more entrenched and higher than uh, people are currently assuming and that the central bank will need to tighten policy more. And in that case, we could see a deeper downturn. There's also the question about how countries will cope with a outright um, end to Russian gas exports. Andrew Kenningham there. Let's turn our attention to the US now, where Wall Street investors had their best month since November 2020, despite all those global headwinds in the economy, which we keep talking about. Let's find out why with Chris Lowe, an analyst at FHN Financial, and he joins us from New York. Thanks so much for making time for World Business Report, Chris. What's happening on Wall Street? Well, the big news today was the income consumption and uh, inflation news we had this morning. In a nutshell, uh, income up six-tenths of a percent, consumer spending growing about one percent, but inflation also up one percent. So essentially, Americans are spending considerably more than they're earning in order to tread water um, uh, against inflation. So investors are pleased because despite everything that's going on, Americans are still spending. That's part of it, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think the other part of it is that the Federal Reserve is well ahead of the ECB in terms of tightening. They've raised rates considerably. They raised rates, in fact, three-quarters of a percent just this week. And uh, there's a sense that because the economy appears to be stalling, the other big news this week was two negative quarters of GDP, um, that the Fed's likely to back off. And I think investors look at that. They see earnings holding up fairly well. 
and uh, they're, they're optimistic. And, well, the best month since 2020. But I, I would just say that I'm a little nervous about keeping this going. And the reason is that the Fed, of course, is determined to keep tightening. Uh, inflation in the U.S. is, is still getting worse. It's not getting better. Uh, the Fed is determined to tame it. And the Fed is also very much in denial about recession. We heard from Raphael Bostic, the Atlanta Fed president just today, uh, that despite two negative quarters, he doesn't think the economy is in recession. To me, that's a sign he's very comfortable to continue with fiscal, uh, with monetary tightening. Interest rate rises. Okay. All right. Thank you for that analysis, Chris. Great to have you on the show as ever. Let's talk about social media now and Instagram in particular. If you were listening to World Business Report earlier this week, you'll have heard about a campaign to prevent changes to the social media platform. Those changes would favour TikTok-style videos over photo-based content in users' feeds, and many people who were trialling this new system, including the Kardashians, were up in arms about the move. Kim Kardashian and Kylie Jenner shared a meme made by Tati Bruning, which said, make Instagram Instagram again. We spoke to Tati about her campaign, and now following the U-turn, I'm pleased to say she joins the program again. Tati, you must be thrilled that Instagram's back down on this. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me again. Yeah. What was your, how did you find out today and what was your reaction? I actually found out last night um, through one journalist tagging me in an Instagram story and I could not believe my eyes when I saw the story. So I immediately clicked the article and uh, if I recall correctly, it was an interview uh, by The Verge with Adam Mosseri. Okay, so let's go back over what happened because the level of outrage over this was pretty astounding, wasn't it? I mean, in the feed that I look at on Instagram, I saw many artists and photographers really angry, really feeling like they were being left behind by Instagram, uh, which was favouring videos. And as I must say, as a user, I found that quite frustrating. Tell me what your opposition to it all was. Personally, as a photographer, I would prefer if photos were favored the same as video. So I think that that's one of the major things that this campaign was about. And again, that's why it blew up in the photography community initially is because us as artists, we weren't getting the same kind of treatment by the algorithm as those that create video. I wonder what was going on behind the scenes here, because from what I read, a lot of people were saying, you know, this was leading them to spend less time looking at Instagram. And if we think about the bottom line, Adam Masseri, the boss of the platform, that's what he cares about. He wants eyeballs on his platform as much as possible. And I guess that was exactly what wasn't happening. Well, I think that that's probably why they took a reevaluation with after after seeing all of this uproar. I think that as a business, they made the good decision to roll back that TikTok-like update that we were seeing on our main feeds. And yes, I, I know that I personally was spending a lot less time on Instagram. And today I've even spent a lot less time on Instagram due to the fact that the way that the timeline has been formatted, formatted was not user-friendly. Um, I know that it's supposed to change back within the next couple of days, but on my phone, it still has that TikTok-like format. Therefore, I've spent way less time on Instagram. Okay, Tati Bruning there. Thank you so much for joining us again. And I think I saw, as you say, Instagram have flagged they are going to change the system back. Might take slightly longer than a couple of days. I think I read a couple of weeks, but many users around the world will be watching for that. Many thanks again. 
Let's take a look at some more business stories. Making headlines now with the BBC's Peter McJob. And Peter, let's start with a story about gold. Some top politicians from Venezuela are fighting a court case over the precious metal. What's going on there? Thanks, Viv. A court in London has ruled in favour of Venezuela's opposition leader, Juan Guadio, in an ongoing legal battle uh, for control of gold reserves deposited with the Bank of England. Now, the dispute began about two years ago uh, when the president, Nicolas Maduro, <clears throat> requested access to nearly $2 billion worth of Venezuelan gold, which, of course, was deposited with the Bank of England. Now, Mr. Guadio managed to block the move. He argued that Mr. Maduro would use the money to support what he described as an illegitimate and corrupt regime. Now, a final decision is expected much later this year. Something I'm sure we'll be reporting on on World Business Report. Zimbabwe now, some incredible figures there today when it comes to inflation and and really not good news. Yes, Zimbabwe's annual inflation has risen to more than 250%. That's the highest level for a year and a half. The authorities, of course, blame the uh, after effects of COVID-19 pandemic and the high global prices of fuel, uh, grain and fertilizer. Okay, not good news for Zimbabweans. Potentially not good news for the singer of this song either. Yes, Viv, I'm sorry to say Shakira is in the news, but it's not about an album, it's not about a tour. The Colombian singer has been threatened with an eight-year prison sentence for tax fraud. Now, the authorities in Spain accuse her of failing to pay the equivalent of $14.5 million in tax. That's between 2012 and 2014. The singer, however, insists he had not been living in Spain during this period and that the investigation amounted to what she calls a complete violation of our rights, Vivian. Another story I'm sure we'll be keeping across. Thanks so much for all of those updates, Peter. Now, are you a Premier League fan? I must admit, I enjoy the weeks when football isn't on the TV in my house, but those days are quickly coming to an end. There's just a week to go now until the new season starts. But some of the biggest clubs have been busy over the break, taking tours of the world to help build their brands. Our reporter, Nick Marsh, followed Liverpool on their recent trip to Singapore. First off the bus was Liverpool's manager, Jurgen Klopp. Then it was Mo Salah, their Egyptian winger. Next, Bobby Firmino from Brazil. One by one, Liverpool's stars got a hero's welcome at the Ritz-Carlton in Singapore. The club hadn't been here since 2011. In fact, due to COVID travel bans, they hadn't done any big pre-season tours like this for three years. The next day, 50,000 fans packed in to Singapore's National Stadium to see them take on Crystal Palace, another Premier League side. It was just a friendly to warm up for the new season, but to fans here... It was much more than that. The pre-season is something we all look forward to. And we are so lucky for them to come to Asia. We've been looking forward to it, waiting to get the tickets, hoping to get in line and get a good seat and watch our favourite players come and play. I, I'm excited. Can't, I can't even explain how I feel right now. It's way more than that. It's crazy. I don't have a religion. I don't have a God. Liverpool Football Club is my religion. It's a way of life for me. That was Vijay, and he's not alone. 
The Premier League is the most watched sports league in the world, with a combined 3.2 billion global viewers annually. And now, for the first time ever, the TV revenue it gets from outside the UK is poised to outstrip what it gets from domestic channels at home. Asia alone will account for $1.4 billion of that revenue. So it's no wonder that teams are flocking back to Asia at the first opportunity. This month, Tottenham were in South Korea, home country of their superstar striker Son Hyun Min. Their match against a local all-star side sold out in 25 minutes. It also became the most streamed sports event in South Korean history. Around the same time, Manchester United played Liverpool in Bangkok and promoters there felt comfortable charging $136 starting price for that game. Someone once famously said to me, you could stand at any airport and jump on a plane and and have a reason to go there and find Liverpool fans. Billy Hogan is Liverpool's chief executive. He's in charge of driving the club's revenue and he says Asia is still number one. A third of our global fan base is is based here. Obviously, the population of Asia uh, is is significant uh, for the club, a huge following here across Asia. Um, And so there's a huge opportunity for us. A huge business opportunity. But from a sporting point of view, these trips don't really make much sense. Travelling across seven time zones for a friendly it's hardly good preparation for a tough season ahead. In fact, before the match, Jurgen Klopp told me in a press conference that they'd be training in Austria if he had his way. But the reality is that he and every other Premier League manager knows the score. The commercial argument won a long time ago. It's 30 degrees here. There's about 80% humidity. We're 10,000 kilometres away from England. And yet, here they are. Clearly, this is so much more than a sport. In fact, it's more than a business. It's a cultural juggernaut, and it profits from passion. How much teams actually make for a game out here is a pretty closely guarded secret within the industry. But analysts say it's unlikely to justify such a long and costly trip. It's more about keeping your fans, that is, your customer base, happy and engaged. Teams don't actually make a huge amount of money directly from the pre-season matches. Maybe a few million dollars per team per match at the very top end. Kevin McCullough is Asia-Pacific editor of the trade publication Sport Business. He says these trips are long-term investments. There's a bigger game of fruit when they're coming to play these games. It's about brand building and it's about fan engagement in markets that deliver much bigger revenues from media rights deals with broadcasters and from sponsorship deals with Asian companies and with Asian brands. So that's where the, that's where the real money lies out here. Hello. I have some exciting news. While they were here in Singapore, Liverpool announced a new deal with Standard Chartered, an Asia-focused bank, and it's reportedly worth more than $240 million. For sponsors, the chance to be associated with such well-loved global brands is an opportunity to be jumped at. For the fans, they'll have memories to last a lifetime. Nick Marsh reporting for us there. Now, let's take a moment to imagine what would you do if you became a billionaire overnight?
Well, that's the exact question being asked by people across the US right now as the jackpot for the Mega Millions Lottery stands at a whopping $1.28 billion. It's the third largest US prize in history, although the chances of winning are just one in 300 million. Even so, it is still an exciting prospect and we can all get a little bit carried away. Danielle Frizzy-Bab is a spokesperson for the US Lottery and she joins World Business Report now. Thanks so much, Danielle. First of all, how rare is a prize like this in Lotto? Well, you know, over the years we have seen the Mega Millions jackpot grow to record levels. The record is $1.5 billion. So this current jackpot at $1.28 billion sits at the number two spot. If nobody wins tonight, when we go to our next drawing, which will be on Monday, that will be a $1.7 billion jackpot, which takes the cake that goes all the way up to the top and sets the record. Do you have a sense then of how many people have bought a ticket? Do you have that kind of data? I don't have that kind of data at this moment, but I can tell you as far as sales go, we are estimating that for this drawing, so from Wednesday until Friday, um, we are looking at exceeding $637 million in sales. Now, if there is a lucky winner, they won't actually take home the full amount, will they? Because the taxman gets to take a pretty sizable chunk, I think. Well, of course, you can't ever get away with a prize without the the tax man coming and taking a little bit of it. Um, The jackpot at $1.28 billion, if you win it, you could take it as an annuity. So you would be paid over the course of 30 years. But you can also take the cash option, which is going to bring you down to $747.2 million. Now, here in the United States, we have a federal tax, 24%. Um, Each state tax may vary where I am here in Ohio. It's a 4% tax on top of that. So if somebody here in Ohio wins, for example, they're looking at a 28% of that prize will go toward taxes. Still quite a lot, I would argue. But I don't know if uh, you work for the lottery. Are you allowed to buy a ticket? I'm not. So I can sympathize with you all. If, you, if you're feeling jackpot envy across the pond, I can, I can understand because I'm not allowed to buy a ticket. Any state lottery employee is not allowed to play the game. So um, I can dream, but I'll never be able to buy a ticket as long as I'm working for the lottery. I won't ask you what you would do if you won then, but I think we can all have a dream uh, tonight, just in case that we're us, even if we're not there in the US to buy a ticket. Thank you so much, Danielle Frizzy there, a spokesperson for the US lottery on that huge draw tonight. Well, this has been World Business Report with me, Vivian Nunes. I'll be back in the chair at midnight GMT with Business Matters. Uh, I'll be joined by live guests in New York and Beijing to take a look at all the new business headlines then. Do join me then if you can.